Well, hey, good morning, church. It's really good to see you all here at church this morning. Um, you know, before we jump into today's sermon, uh, what I wanted to do was just take a moment of silence and prayer. Uh, as many of you know, um, the South and the Midwest, especially the state of Kentucky, was hit really hard with a tornado. Uh, and in fact, after our last uh, service, um, uh, one of the members came up to me and just uh, told me about an organization that our church can pr uh, potentially partner with, an organization called Samaritan's Purse. And so um, hopefully, uh, most likely in the future, uh, we'll partner with them and see if there's any work that we can do there just to support those areas. I think there were like seven states that were hit, hundreds of uh, structures that were destroyed and uh, they're saying up to right now about 70 lives if not more um, are, are uh, were lost during that storm and so what I wanted to do was just take a moment uh, of prayer we can pray and uh, the first responders are still responding to this and so they're still looking and searching for survivors um, for people who are missing and so let's just pray for that let's pray that God would comfort them um, but that God would also help the first responders to really find and to really save uh, some of those people who are trapped in the rubble so let's just take a moment I'll close this out and then we'll jump into today's sermon. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are king and that you are God and that you are good as we sang, Lord. And Lord, in the midst of a storm, Lord, a literal storm, it's hard to see your goodness at this time. But Lord, we do pray and ask that your Holy Spirit would go to those people right now, Lord, and that you would comfort their hearts and that you would reveal to them your goodness, even in the midst of this wreckage. And God, we pray that you would give them life and that you'd give them hope and that you'd give them joy once again. Lord, we do pray and ask that you would help the first responders to find uh, any survivors, to locate them and to save them. And Lord, we pray and ask that you would um, uh, give peace, God, uh, to any of those families, God, that have been deeply, deeply affected. God, we thank you for this gift of prayer. God, we thank you for the resources you've given to us. And Lord, we ask and pray that you would help us as a church uh, to really utilize our resources to help uh, wherever there is help needed. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us and direct us and guide us, God, as we uh, partner with different organizations, God, to help there. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, you know, we do have a sermon to go through today, and uh, we've been going through this sermon series called An Honest Advent, and we're looking at the life of Jesus through the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 1 and 2, and really asking ourselves, what did Jesus' life look like at the very beginning? And when we read the Gospel of Matthew, it's very honest. It's very, uh, yeah, just very real about Jesus' initial upbringings, that there was death and suffering and, uh, and, and, and just strange people in his life at the very onset. And so this is why we've entitled it An Honest Advent. And during the season of Advent, what we're doing is we're trying to study the life of Jesus, but at the same time, look forward to the future with expectation and hope of his second coming. And hopefully by looking back and looking forward, we can, it can help us in our present time, in this present situation that we find ourselves in. And today we come to a very, very famous story found in Matthew chapter 2 of the wise men or the magi. And um, hopefully as we study this today, we can study this attribute of joy. In week one, we studied uh, hope through the gospel. In week two, last week, we studied uh, love. And then this week, we're hopefully going to look at joy. So at this time, if you're able to, would you rise as we read God's word together? We're looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. I'll read from the English Standard Version. That's the ESV. Uh, I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you could respond with thanks be to God. Uh, I'll pray for us, and then I'll seat you after the prayer. 
This is the reading of God's word. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For he saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, uh, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and you, when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child would marry his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Let me go ahead and pray for us. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you for the story of, this, of these magi. We're so thankful, God, that you've preserved this for us to study. And Lord, today, would you teach us what joy is, how to have true joy, and what it means to really worship you as our King of kings and our Lord of lords. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Um, so we have three points, as we normally do. The first point is the people with joy. Uh, the second point is joy that unites us. And then finally, the source of all joy, all right? Uh, so the people with joy, uh, the joy that unites, and the source of all joy. Uh, let me uh, start off our first point with actually reading from a psalm. Um, in Psalm 139, there's this really interesting psalm where King David is talking about the uh, omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere. Listen to Psalm 139.7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I free from your, flee from your presence? And I remember uh, my Old Testament professor in seminary read this passage for us, and he said this. He said, uh, do you guys think that this is good news or bad news? Do you think that the presence of God is good news or bad news? The fact that you can't escape his presence. And we thought about that. And, and at first I just thought, yeah, that's great news. But as he elaborated more and more, I realized that the presence of God could be equally troubling news as it is good news. Right? For example, if you're in the middle of sin, if you're stealing something, you're cheating, you're lying, and you know God's presence is with you, watching every sin you've ever done in your life, well, this is troubling news for, for some people. But at the same time, if you're in the midst of chaos, if you're in the midst of a storm, if you're in the midst of trouble and evil, and you know that the goodness and presence of God is with you, this can bring somebody incredible amounts of joy. And the reason why I'm stating this is because there are two characters in our story today. There's the Magi, and there's King Herod. And King Herod and the Magi are reacting to the same news of Jesus Christ in two uh, contrary ways. They're looking at the news of Jesus Christ, the king being born, the Magi celebrate, and yet King Herod is troubled. So let's look there at the very end of the story here, okay? Look at verse 10 with me, okay? When they saw the star, that's the Magi, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, Okay? When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I want you to underline that word exceedingly, okay? This word can mean exceedingly, very, very, or great. But as I dug a little bit deeper into this word, what I noticed is that there is this violent connotation to it. So it's sort of like they celebrated violently. 
It's what they use when somebody gets beaten up exceedingly, violently. And when I thought of this and I was kind of thinking about why Matthew would use this word, my mind immediately went to sports or to athletics. Right? I don't know if you've ever seen athletes celebrate, especially men. When we get happy, we tend to get kind of violent. Right? I don't know if you've watched football, right? Football players will like smack each other in the butt, but it's not like a light pat. Some of these smacks are like spankings. They're really hard. And you're like, why are you doing this? But they're celebrating and they're hitting each other or they smack each other in the helmets. And I played football in high school. And I'm telling you, these smacks are not light. They're, they're violent. Like sometimes they're like, bad. they're so happy. They're just like celebrating and they're violent. If you ever see uh, somebody score a touchdown, right? They, they, they score a touchdown, they have the ball in hand. What do they do with the ball? They spike it on the ground in violence. And you're like, why? Did the ball do anything to you? Did it hurt you? But they're just doing this because they are filled with joy and celebration that they almost have this kind of violent tendency. And the line between joy and violence is sort of thin, in other words. Uh, and, and if you had no idea what was going on and no context, you wouldn't be able to tell if these magi were angry or joyful. <laughs> and yet this is what I think is happening with the magi. They're so excited. They're so filled with joy and celebration that they're almost getting violent with each other. They're probably giving each other super high fives and squeezing each other, maybe smacking each other on the butt. And, 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 and if you look there at the second word, they're exceedingly with great that word for great, you want to underline that as well. It's the Greek word for mega. It literally says in the Greek, mega joy. And so here's the Eric No version, the ENV version. Okay, it'll be up there on the screens for you, okay? They rejoiced violently with mega joy. That's what I see happening in this passage. They are so ec ecstatic about Jesus being born, this news of the coming king. In addition, let's move on further into the passage, verse 11. Look there at the first part of verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They fell. That word there, if you look deeper into it, it's referring to a literal physical falling. Literally, they, they went in and they just fell prostrate on their faces. But this word also can mean figuratively to indicate abandoning beliefs or commitments. And I think both are happening. They're falling on their faces in worship and in joy, but they're also abandoning all that they believed. All this astrology stuff that they believed in, all of these pagan worship of all these idols, they're abandoning it at the moment, and they're saying, Jesus, you are our king. We're going to worship you with joy and celebration. What caused them to abandon their beliefs? What caused this mega joy? What caused this celebration? And really, here's the thing that caused it. It's Jesus. It's the news of Jesus, right? But look, that's not even the end of it, right? I want you to look even further on in 11, the second half of 11b, right? Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. This is what joy looks like, friends. Joy looks like somebody giving generously. And don't you realize that this is what joy oftentimes looks like, right? Joy looks like somebody giving. Think about it, right? This past Sunday, for example, last week's Sunday, the Seahawks finally won a game. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. Yeah. All right. Thank you. One person. The Seahawks finally won, right? And I watched this game. I was watching it, and, and during this game, I remember watching the Seahawks play. And, and by the way, if you don't know anything about football, the Seahawks have been on a losing streak, okay? Three games in a row they lost. San Francisco, who they played, was on a winning streak. I think they had won the last four or five games in a row. And so going to this game, I had no hope. I was like, we're going to lose. Russell Wilson doesn't look good right now. His finger's bad. I don't know why he's throwing it over people's heads or whatever. But I, I felt really bad about the game. But I turn on the game, and lo and behold, we're doing great. 
man, we are doing so great. And I'm watching this alone at home on my little phone, on my NFL app, and there are moments where I want to celebrate. And I want to get up and high-five somebody. But I go to where my family, and so I just keep walking over to my family, and my wife keeps asking me, what are you doing here? Why do you keep coming to us? And it's because I wanted to high-five them. Every time they scored a touchdown, I wanted somebody to give me a high-five or to, for me to high-five them or give them a hug or something. Right? Do you ever notice when you go to a stadium, when you watch a game, right, there are complete perfect strangers around you, and yet you're cheering for the Seahawks or you're cheering for the Mariners or whoever it might be. They score, and all of a sudden you're giving high-fives and hugs to these perfect strangers, because this is what joy does. It, it enables you to give generously. It gi it's a giving spirit. Or if you get a promotion or a raise and you go out to celebrate with all your friends and you say, hey, guys, the dinner's on me. Round's on me, right? Next round is on me, right? You're giving away in joy and in celebration. And yet look at what Herod is doing. Herod is not giving away gifts. He's not giving away life. What is Herod doing? Herod is giving away death. If you look later on, we're going to study this next week, but later on we find out that Herod is literally giving death. He's killing all of these infants because he's searching for the king. He doesn't know where the king is, and so he decides, I'm going to kill everyone under the age of two. It doesn't matter. And so while the magi are giving gifts, King Herod is giving death. While the magi are violent with mega joy, right, uh, uh, King Herod is just committing mega acts of violence. While the Magi are prostrate, humbling themselves, and throwing away their old beliefs for belief in Jesus, King Herod is filled with pride and not lying down in prostrate humility, but he's lying, like literally lying to the Magi, to everyone around him. He's not throwing away his old beliefs, but literally throwing away dead bodies of infants. And this is the, the line between joy and fear. Because why is Herod doing this? Because he's fearful, he's afraid. The king of kings and the Lord of lords has come, and he's afraid that this king is going to take away his throne, his power, his glory, and his might. And so he hoards. He protects. He keeps everything close to him. You see that? The magi are giving, giving, giving. Herod is protecting, hoarding, keeping for himself. And let me ask you this, right? Does Jesus spark fear or joy in you? Does Jesus spark fear or joy in you? Right, are you Herod or are you the Magi? Well, let me give you a, a, a deeper test to kind of think through this, to meditate on this a little bit deeper, okay? Do the commands of God spark joy in you or do they spark fear and dread in you? Do the commands of God spark joy in you or do they spark fear and dread in you? Because here's the point, right? Herod doesn't want Jesus to be his king. The Magi do. And what do you do to a king? You obey a king. You listen to the king. You obey his commands. So let me ask you, do you, does the commands of God spark joy in you or do they spark dread and fear? Let me read from Psalm 19. Uh, this is a, a great, great psalm that King David writes. And listen to what he says about the rules of God or the commands of God. He says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Are the commands of God sweet to you or are they bitter to you? Do you look at the commands of God and say, oh, I want nothing to do with this. There's not joy. It's just, ah, oh, I don't want it. Or do you look at the commands of God and say, sweet, I, I want more. Give me more, God. Are you afraid of Jesus or do you enthrone Jesus? Are you joyful of Jesus or are you trying to dethrone Jesus? 
We're going to come back to this in a moment, but let's move on to our second point, joy that unites. Because I'm going to talk specifically about a command that I believe Jesus gives to us in this passage that he wants from our church, that he wants from every church. And so let me go through that, and then let me come back to this question about whether or not you love the commands of God or you hate the commands of God. All right, so let's move on to joy that unites. The Gospel of Matthew, as I mentioned, is written primarily to a Jewish audience. They're Jewish Christians. And so uh, Matthew, including the story in the Gospel, is he's doing something very specific and particular here. He's being very intentional. Right? The Magi were either Persian or Chaldean. Chaldean being that they were probably Babylonian, right? So they were either Persian or Babylonian, and they were known for divination, for astrology, for magic, for sorcery, these kinds of things. And the Greeks, along with the Romans, along with the Babylonians and the Persians, all revered the Magi. Uh, And so although uh, the Magi were into magic and divination and sorcery and future telling and all these kinds of things, um, the Romans and the Greeks looked at these Magi more like we look uh, to professors today, with respect, uh, with education and honor and kind of reverence, right? Like our our professors are smart people. We want to go to them. They're wise, right? And this is the kind of same notion that Romans and Greeks would have had. So King Herod, for example, would have thought, man, these guys are great. They're wise men. They're advisors. They're, you know, they have a lot of education and knowledge for me. And yet, although the Romans and the uh, Greeks would have thought very highly of the Magi, the Magi were actually the enemies of the Jewish people. Because look, look at here, right? Look at verse 1. Let's, let's go back to the beginning now of this passage, okay? Let's look there at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. I want you to underline wise men. That word or that, those, those two words together are one word in the Greek, and it's this word magos which is where we get magi from, right? And, and this word for magi comes to us in the book of Daniel. Look with me at the book of Daniel, chapter 2, verse 2. It'll be up here on the screens for you. And if you remember anything about the book of Daniel, we went through this, right? Daniel's enemies, the enemies of the Israelites, were the Babylonians. And who in particular were the enemies here in chapter 2? Look, look with me here. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, underlined sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The Old Testament was, tra- it was written in Hebrew. It's translated to Greek. Okay, In the Greek version of Daniel, that word for sorcerers is magos, is magi. And so if you're a Jewish person, you're hearing Matthew talk about the Magi or the Magos, you're thinking these guys are the enemies. The last time I saw them was in the book of Daniel, and they hated Daniel. They hated the Jewish people. They tried to get Daniel killed multiple times. They tried to kill Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These guys are bad dudes. They are our political enemies. And so Matthew's audience, the Jewish people, they would recall this, and they would think, man, these guys are bad guys, and yet what is Matthew doing here? He's painting them as worshipers of Yahweh. And so here's what I think is one of the main pa- points of this passage, okay? Uh, it's, it'll be up here on the screens for you. The main point of the passage is he's challenging his audience's prejudice against outsiders. He's challenging his audience's prejudice of, against outsiders. Right? Remember what I said last week. It's not about individualism in that day. It's about the group identity. And so for the Jewish people, who would have been family? Herod would have been family. He was the king of the Jews. He was Jewish. Who else would have been family? Jerusalem would have been family. The chief priests, the scribes would have been family. But look at what it says there, right? 
in chapter 2, verse uh, 3 and 4, I believe it is, right? When Herod, uh, if you look there at 3, it won't be up there on the screens, but when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So their family members are all troubled, and so because he was troubled, he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. This is like reverse Daniel, right? Daniel, in Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar gets all the magicians, chanters, and sorcerers, right? But here, King Herod is now assembling all of his chief priests, the scribes, all of his people from Jerusalem, and they're all troubled. And he's saying, look, who's, who are your real family members? Is it King Herod? Is it Jerusalem? Is it the, is it the Jewish people? Or are, is it these magi who are worshiping God? Look, for, for most of us, right, in today's modern context, we would say it's, an, it's inappropriate and a sin to hate an entire group of people based on something, right? So, for example, it's bad to hate all men. I think we would all agree on that, right? We, we agree that it would be bad to hate all women, or it'd be bad to hate all people from one ethnic race, or, uh, or to hate all people who don't have a college education, or whatever, what have you, right? It's bad to do these kinds of things, right? Um, but one area where I think in our modern society where it's appropriate to hate, and it's actually okay to hate, uh, is that, and I don't use that word lightly, right? Uh, because what is hate? Hate is separation. Hate is segregation. This is why Jim Crow laws were incredibly evil, because they segregated whites and blacks. It's a kind of separation. Um, but for us today, I think it's appro appropriate and okay, culturally okay, for one political tribe to hate a whole other political tribe. I talked about this last week, and I'm going to talk about it again this week. I think it is absolutely okay in our culture and society for a conservative to say, I hate all liberals, and for a liberal to say, I hate all conservatives. It's okay for conservatives and liberals to segregate and separate themselves from each other and, and to really hate one another in this way. And in this context, I think Matthew 2 is challenging us against prejudice against outsiders of our own tribes. Because do you understand what the gospel is? The gospel is a main unifying piece. It can unite Jewish Christians with Persian sorcerers. And the gospel, our love for Jesus, is supposed to make us a family. Do you understand how scandalous this idea of people being family back in those days was? Like I know today, we, we just throw this term around, right? Like, oh, like these guys, they're like family. Oh, this is my brother from another mother, right? Like we just throw around these terms. But back in those days, Christians would call each other brothers and sisters. And guess what? The culture, the secular culture of that day was like, hey, stop saying that. That's not true. Are you saying you marry your brother and your sister? That's weird. And so actually the first Christian pastors had to write these long documents explaining why they call each other brothers and sisters. Because you didn't throw around that term. Because remember what I said last week, right? Family was everything. You don't just throw around that term. Family was your in-group, your unit. That, that was every, and so you don't just throw around that term. And yet Matthew's saying, look, these magi are family. They're family. Don't separate from them. Don't segregate from them. Even though they're political enemies, trust me, they love them. This is what Christ does. And in those days, to call a magi from a different ethnic group, from a different political tribe, was scandalous. It was wild. It was nuts. It was absolutely crazy for them to do this. And so let me go back to this initial question. Do you love the commands of Christ? Do you love what Christ is doing here? Do you love the gospel? He calls us to love those and to be in the same family as those who are our enemies. Are there Christians that you hate right now? Maybe it's not for political reasons. Maybe for other reasons. But maybe there are political reasons why you hate other Christians. Jesus is calling you right now to love them. The gospel brings everyone together, which means that everyone who understands the gospel is family. 
And here's ultimately my question to you. Is Jesus your king good news or is it bad news? Uh, let's move on to our third and final point, the source of joy. The source of joy. Is Jesus sweet to you or does he trouble you now? Does this news that the coming king is going to unite you as a family to your political enemies good news to you or bad news to you? Do you want to kill Jesus and his commands or do you want to enthrone Jesus and obey his commands? Do you want to worship him and enthrone him on your hearts or do you want to do away with him just as Herod did? Let me ask you that again now. See, the other main theme in this whole passage is that Jesus is king. It's very apparent that what the Magi are doing is they're saying, you are our king. Herod is not our king. You are our king. And there are a lot of misconceptions about this passage, right? When, when we think of the Magi, we oftentimes think of three Magi. But actually, there's nowhere in this passage where it only talks about three. Did you realize that? There's nowhere. It just says wise men. There's no three. The reason why we get three is because there were three gifts. So people think, well, maybe one was carrying one gift, the other was carrying another, and the other was carrying... But there were, there were probably several. There were probably maybe seven to 12 magi altogether traveling together in this way. And the reason for these gifts, right, some pastors have said, is because they represented different facets of Jesus, right? So you may have heard a sermon where they might say gold is for royalty, frankincense for deity, and myrrh pointing to his suffering and death. However, every commentator, every scholar that I read basically said that this is kind of bogus, actually. That's not real. And the reasons for the gift, every commentator in my, that I read said this, the gifts are plain and abundant. He says, these are the things that you bring to a king, these are the typical gifts that you bring to a king. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 10, there's this really interesting story of Queen Sheba. She comes from where? The east, just like the wise men came from. And what does she bring King Solomon? She goes to King Solomon. She's heard about his name, how great he is. She goes to enthrone him as the king. And what does she bring? She brings gold and spices, it tells us. And this is exactly what the wise men bring. They bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Frankincense and myrrh, of course, being spices. And so what they're saying is this, they're bringing Jesus gold and great quantity of spices, and they're saying, you are our king. And look, do you know why certain kings rise above other kings? Why certain kings become more uh, great than other kings? It's because of their ability to unite people. Uh, you know, I've been meeting more and more people from Hawaii in here, but let me give you some Hawaiian history here, okay? Uh, in Hawaiian history, there was a great king named King Kamehameha, okay? That's not the Dragon Ball Z fireball that you shoot out, right? That's his name, King Kamehameha, okay? And uh, he is known to the Hawaiian people as one of the greatest kings in all of Hawaiian history. And the reason why is because he united all the islands of Hawaii. But if you know anything about Hawaii, there are, I, I believe, eight islands. I should have looked this up between services. But I think there's eight. There might be nine. I think there's eight, though. Uh, there's eight islands. And he united all the islands of Hawaii. And he did this because of how great of a king he is. And that's why the Hawaiian people remember him as this great king. If you look at the Bible, right, why is King David known as one of the greatest Jewish kings of all history? And, of course, there was economic peace. There was prosperity. There was worship of Yahweh and kingdom expansion. But... One of the primary reasons why is because he united all 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes were not united at that point. They were still fighting against each other, and yet King David unites all 12 tribes under one nation. In fact, if you look at great pastors of, of history, even if you look at great pastors today, such as Tim Keller or John Piper, these, these pastors will be remembered because they unified so many Christians. If you look at something like the Gospel Coalition or Together for the Gospel, John Piper and Tim Keller brought all of these people from different denominations, different churches, different backgrounds under this network of people. 
And so this is why we will remember them, because they united people. Because this is what kings would do. They would unite people under one banner, and Jesus has come to do the same thing. He's come to save his people and unite them under one banner, to unite them all under his name, under his lordship. And so let me ask you this, right? Heaven is our king's kingdom, and the church is his kingdom here on earth. And does his kingdom seem heavenly to you, or does it seem like hell to you? Does it seem like heaven that you're going to spend all of eternity with a bunch of liberals? Does it seem like heaven that you're going to spend your time in eternity with all conservatives? Do you see what I'm getting at here? Do you, is it going to be uh, pleasant for you to be with your enemies? Is that heavenly to you? Does it seem like trouble to you or does it seem like joy to you? The reason why we don't have joy this Christmas season, friends, is because we don't understand the gospel. The gospel is the fact that Jesus Christ is king and Lord and we were his enemies. We were his political enemies. We were his uh, sinful enemies. We sinned against God. This is why we deserve nothing but his punishment. Look, of course, we sinned against each other, but the main reasons why we deserve wrath and punishment from God is because we sinned against him. We were his enemies. And yet the gospel tells us that Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, drew close to his enemies. He did not segregate from his enemies. He did not separate from them. He drew near to them. In fact, he died for us on a cross. He paid the price for our sins, for our treachery. This is the gospel, friends. That enemies were made friends, not just friends, family. We're not children of this adopted God. We're sons and daughters of the living God. And the gospel calls you to the same work. The same work of reaching out to your enemies and drawing close to them and making them not enemies but family now. Close, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the gospel. And let me ask you again, is this troubling news or is this gospel news to you? That you get to spend all of eternity with your enemy. Does the gospel bring you joy or does it trouble you? Look, friends, there's so many differences. I know there's so many different differences in, our, in this room right now. There's so many differences happening across churches. And yet what the scriptures tell us over and over again is that we are a family of God and that our Father and our Lord and our King is Jesus Christ himself. And friends, I pray, I pray that this gospel becomes good news to you because it is indeed good news. The fact that you were enemies and are now saints. The, the fact that you were sinners and now saints. The fact that you were enemies but now children of God, friends, is good news. And I pray that you meditate upon that and allow the love of Christ, the joy of Christ to overflow into your life to now make everyone who is your enemy a family friend. Friends, my hope this Christmas is that we would not separate more, that we would not segregate more, but that joy would fill us up from the gospel and that because of that joy, we would give love to all those around us. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, uh, I pray for myself. I pray for others, Lord. I, I know that even in this room now, God, even let's forget about all the politics stuff, Lord. I know that there are people in our lives right this second, Lord, who are who, who are Christians, who love you, who call you Lord and Savior of their lives, Lord, and they hate another person who says the same exact thing, that you are their Lord and their Savior. Or maybe there is bitterness in their hearts right this moment, Lord, against somebody else. Or maybe there's just this sense that I just don't want to do anything with them, this apathy, Lord. Whatever the case is, Lord, we come before you in repentance, Lord. And we say we, we're sorry, Lord. And would your blood wash us clean once again? 
Would your body broken for us give us hope once again? And Lord, we pray and we ask that in this moment that you'd fill us up with an overwhelming sense of joy, Lord, that we could even bless our enemies, that we could even call our enemies family. So Lord, we pray that you would give us strength now to overcome hatred, to overcome the bitterness in our hearts and to extend love, grace, and peace wherever, that, wherever it is that we go. As Christians, Lord, we know that we've been blessed with this message of salvation. And Lord, we pray that we would extend this message of salvation, this message of reconciliation, Lord, to everyone around us. God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.